Good evening. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, March 25th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for KVMR's Evening News. Tonight, after National Public Radio headlines and KQED's California report, we bring you regional news and weather, hospitality houses' needs for the week, and Bravehearts. This week, part two of an interview with local artist Terry Worden. We'll close tonight with an essay by Molly Fisk. For their support of community radio, KVMR would like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile, celebrating 2021 with Dave Wilson and Felix Gillet bare root trees in stock, plus berries, grapes, cloning supplies, and more. In downtown North San Juan, 2929000. Sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And Sierra Derm Center for Dermatology, specializing in general and cosmetic dermatology, skin cancer detection, and skin cancer removal for over 17 years. Located across from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital in Grass Valley. New patient openings available. Information at sierraderm.com. Here are tonight's NPR news headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. In his first solo press conference, President Biden today says his administration is working to create better conditions for unaccompanied minors showing up at the border. As NPR's Tamara Keith explains, a surge of migrants has meant children and teenagers being held in overcrowded facilities. Biden pushed back on the suggestion that his rhetoric and message about a more humane approach to immigration was drawing parents to send their children on the treacherous journey to the U.S. A nine-year-old, I'm going to send him on a thousand-mile journey across the desert and up to the United States because I know Joe Biden's a nice guy and he'll take care of him. What a desperate act to have to take. The circumstances must be horrible. So we can do something about that. That's what the vice president's going to be doing. Biden has tasked Vice President Harris with working with Mexico and Central American governments. Biden said the current situation with overcrowded facilities is totally unacceptable. Tamara Keith, NPR News. During his press conference today, Biden said he has made it clear to Chinese leader Xi Jinping the U.S. is not looking for confrontation. However, Biden told reporters he also made it clear he'll insist China play by international rules in terms of fair competition and fair trade. Biden, who says he spent a lot of time with Xi while serving as vice president under former President Barack Obama, says he's convinced the Chinese leader believes democracy does not have a future. Biden says he has a very different view of the future, one that will require investing in U.S. workers and science to compete with China. Dangerous tornadoes are ripping through the deep south today. At least five deaths have been reported in Alabama. NPR's Debbie Elliott reports search and rescue efforts are underway in several places where believe people are trapped as a wave of severe weather moves through the region. Long-track tornadoes have crumpled homes and businesses and knocked down trees and power lines in suburbs south of Birmingham and in the small town of Ohatchee to the northeast. A severe weather outbreak has spawned tornadoes throughout the deep south along with 
flash flooding and large hail. Interstate 65 was closed due to flooding in North Alabama. A Florence, Alabama police officer was struck by lightning and is recovering at a hospital. A similar wave of storms last week produced more than 50 tornadoes across Mississippi and Alabama. Debbie Elliott, NPR News. The U.S. economy grew at a stronger 4.3 percent annual rate during the final three months of last year. That was somewhat better than expected and comes amid expectations of even stronger economic growth in the year ahead with increased COVID-19 vaccination rates. That and another $2 trillion in government economic support. However, for all of last year, the U.S. economy still contracted by roughly 3.5%. Stocks gained ground on Wall Street today. The Dow was up 199 points. The Nasdaq rose 15 points. The S&P 500 was up 20 points. This is NPR. The largest oil and gas trade group in the U.S. says it supports putting a price on carbon dioxide emissions in order to address climate change. NPR's Jeff Brady reports the announcement comes as the Biden administration works on policies to zero out carbon emissions by the year 2050. The American Petroleum Institute opposed the last big effort to put a price on carbon a decade ago, but now large oil companies support the idea. API President and CEO Mike Summers didn't offer many specifics, but says his group supports a broad policy framework. We think a market approach is better and will ultimately lead to more emissions reductions than a heavy-handed government-first approach. The details likely will draw strong opposition. API wants duplicative regulations eliminated in exchange, and the industry typically has asked for provisions that would end lawsuits forcing fossil fuel companies to pay for the effects of past emissions that contributed to climate change. Jeff Brady, NPR News. New York City Police Department says it will increase outreach and patrols in Asian communities amid a spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. Police Commissioner Demet Shea saying today the department is sending undercover officers to Chinatown and other parts of the city with significant Asian populations to prevent and disrupt attacks. Chief of Department Rodney Harrison says undercover officers will be on patrol by the end of the weekend. He declined to give specific number but says they are all of Asian descent. The NYPD has tallied 26 anti-Asian incidents this year. Crude oil futures prices lost ground today. Oil down 4.3 percent to settle at 58.56 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. New developments to a story we told you about yesterday. Crews have closed off streets this morning in the areas surrounding Echo Park Lake in Los Angeles as the city moves forward with plans to clear a large homeless encampment there. This follows a loud, hours-long protest last night, where at times demonstrators clashed with hundreds of LAPD officers who were deployed to the park. The LAPD says one person was arrested for failing to comply with an officer's orders. Police said there were no injuries and denied reports that they used tear gas. Multiple reporters and demonstrators said there were physical confrontations. The demonstrators and several community groups argue that clearing the homeless from the area is inhumane, especially during the pandemic. The city says so many homeless have settled in Echo Park that conditions have become squalid. The city also says it will do everything possible to move displaced 
homeless individuals to temporary shelters and motels. Let's turn from homelessness to the kinds of housing we build. For decades, single-family home neighborhoods have been synonymous with the American and California dream. But those neighborhoods were also creations of historically racist zoning laws that also encouraged sprawl. Now, a handful of California cities are taking on the sanctity of the suburban-style single-family home neighborhood and encouraging smaller, multifamily residences. With a closer look at this, here's KQED's Aaron Baldessari. Real estate developer Kevin Kasakian is standing in the middle of a grassy lot near Sacramento's downtown. You'll kind of see from here the, the, the wood gate, and uh, we did some landscaping in the back there. When he bought the property, there was already a single-family home there that had been converted into a duplex. Kasagian is thinking even bigger. It's going to be a, uh, a multifamily property with four units, uh, two studios on the ground floor, and then upstairs are two large one-bedroom units. He says this kind of thing is happening a lot in Sacramento, as more people search for housing that's affordable. What we've seen is an influx of people from San Francisco, the surrounding San Francisco area, Bay Area, and then even L.A. and down south. It's kind of exploding. Mixing small multifamily buildings among single-family homes is something that could happen a lot more, thanks to a draft plan the Sacramento City Council approved in January to eventually allow fourplexes in all of its residential neighborhoods. I was just really excited. Bridget Driller is paying close attention. The issue of housing affordability, it impacts almost everyone in California. Driller is 30, and she's a renter. Homeownership, she says, feels impossible. But that hasn't stopped her from spending a lot of time on the real estate website Zillow. Looking at different lives that I could live. But she says there aren't a lot of options out there for her. There are a lot of single-family homes, which I don't really want. What I would love to see is more of that middle category of apartment complexes that are affordable. Not everyone is as excited as Driller. Maggie Coulter lives in a mostly single-family neighborhood in Sacramento. A lot of houses in this neighborhood were built in the 40s. They're small. The lots are about 5,000 square feet. She moved to the neighborhood in the 80s. Coulter is afraid that if this draft proposal becomes the rule, her neighborhood would soon become unrecognizable. There have been a lot of houses flipped in this neighborhood. But if this if this general plan was approved, they could be flipped to accommodate six units. It's going to take 10, 20 years for anyone to really notice that there are you know, duplexes and triplexes in neighborhoods that didn't used to have them before. David Garcia, a housing researcher at the University of California in Berkeley, says policies like this are part of a long-term strategy to make housing more affordable. In 2019, both Minneapolis and Oregon approved multifamily buildings in most residential neighborhoods. There's a real need in high-cost cities to explore where we can build new homes, and that includes looking at single-family homes, which for decades have been sacrosanct. Beyond driving up the cost of housing, many studies have shown restricting development has led to racial segregation. Congress passed the Fair Housing Act in 1968, which explicitly prohibited racial segregation in housing. And the backlash was huge. In an attempt to keep neighborhoods white, cities across the country banned multifamily dwellings in neighborhoods where previously they were allowed. Garcia says multi-unit buildings tended to be occupied by people of color and recent immigrants. They're really reckoning with the racist and exclusionary nature 
of some of these single-family-only policies. In many cities, seeing single-family homes side-by-side with small apartment buildings and duplexes isn't new. In that Sacramento neighborhood where Kevin Kasagian wants to build a fourplex, there are cottage apartments next to small single-family homes and large two-story bungalows. As we're talking about neighborhoods and feel and personal connection and like mixing uses, this block is oddly very emblematic of what's going on, right? In the real estate market here? Hot, hot. I mean, you cannot get a better area than this. And if Sacramento and other cities have their way, there will be a lot more neighborhoods like it across the country. For The California Report, I'm Aaron Baldessari in Sacramento. Support for The California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere, and College Futures Foundation, supporting KQED special broadcasts from college campuses and other higher education reporting. Learn more at collegefutures.org. State lawmakers have introduced a new bill that would increase income taxes for wealthier Californians. The bill would add an additional 2% tax on income over a million dollars. It's intended to address income inequality and help the state recover from the costs associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Bay Area Assemblymember Alex Lee is a co-sponsor. He says the pandemic's aftermath could have a long-term negative impact on the state's general fund and working families. The road to recovery for our working class families will be difficult. Lee added that in 2020, the richest Californians profited while record numbers of low-income people relied on unemployment. The Bay Area Council, a regional business advocacy group, opposes the proposal, saying it will lead to more people leaving the state. And that's the California Report for Thursday, March 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can listen to the California Report podcast, find it wherever you get your podcasts, and hear our shows any time of day you want. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Governor Gavin Newsom announced today that beginning Thursday, April 1st, all Californians who are 50 or older will be eligible to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. Californians who are 16 or older become eligible starting April 15th, as the state expects to get more than 3 million doses per week by the second half of the month. California currently gets about 1.8 million doses per week. In just a few weeks, there will be no rules, no limitations as it relates to the ability to get a vaccine administered, Newsom said. This state is going to come roaring back. End quote. If successful, California would be ahead of the curve by weeks, as President Joe Biden's administration wants all states to make every adult eligible for the vaccine by May 1st. Here in Nevada County, more than 40,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine have been administered, and that number continues to grow. You can check your eligibility status at myturn.ca.gov. And if you want the latest vaccine news straight from the county, visit mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus slash vax news. 
That's V-A-X-N-E-W-S. And for local weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight, clear, with a low around 37. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 64. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a 20% chance of snow showers before 11 p.m., and partly cloudy, with a low around 20. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 46. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 44. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 73. It's time for Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, we'll hear part two of an interview with local artist Terry Worden. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. And since the onset of the pandemic, we've shifted into a 24-7 operation, working in partnership with multiple agencies around town in a collective effort to help as many people as possible in crisis. I'm Christina Bkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. And the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves. Please keep donating these. New pillows, twin-size blankets, bottled water, hand warmers, Alka-Seltzer, travel bags and backpacks, headphones, earbuds, brushes, combs and hair ties, toilet paper, paper towels, men and women's winter gloves, men's jeans sizes 30 to 36, 8 ounce paper coffee cups, please no lids or styrofoam or plastic cups, women's underwear sizes small, medium and large, Men and women's sweatpants, sizes medium, large, extra large, and 2XL. Ensure and boost drinks for guests undergoing chemo and radiation treatments. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place, located in Brunswick Basin, past the DMV, at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Welcome to this episode of Bravehearts. This is Betty Louise, and tonight we're going to hear from Terry Warden, a Nevada City resident and songwriter. This was recorded in 2017, but had such an impact that I thought it wise to bring it back around. 
Terry is going to share his story behind the song he wrote, You Can See the People, after volunteering at the emergency shelter for homeless people. You can see the people, and you sure can, no matter where you are, anywhere in this country. You go out on the street, and there's folks out there, they don't have anywhere else to be. And they literally have nowhere else to fall. And for some reason in this country where there's so much excess, there is so much productivity, there's so much everything. Unfortunately, along with all of that, greed has crept in and is extremely predominant. So there's, it's so concentrated where there's people that have so much, they could never spend it a million years as it becomes a, a game where other people, through no fault of their own, have nothing and could be supported. It doesn't take much. And these people aren't just a bunch of losers that drank too much alcohol or smoked too much pot and didn't want to get a job and mom threw them out. These people, for the most part, have serious mental disabilities and addiction problems. And as impossible as it seems, somebody has to do something because it's, it's inhumane. Come on, look at this. Look what you got. Look at all the stuff you have in your house and all the cars and all the money and all the... These guys have nothing. And it's just got them raining for seven days. So, I don't know. It's kind of a hard thing to turn your back on, really, if you kind of, like, dig into it a little bit. So, that's well, my story. Well, yeah, clearly you hit a point. You said, something came over me that made you go to Pioneer Park yes. and volunteer your time. Yes. Can you put any more words around what that something is? Absolutely. It just has to do with trying to promote the greater good in any way you can. And if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have something else to give, you can at least give your time. If you got a little bit of money, you can give that. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And you can quote me on that one. <laughs> and we got a songwriter here.
And now, a commentary by Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet The only time I fired a gun was in western Maine at some Coke cans. I was 30. It was a handgun, stocky and black, heavy, unexpectedly cold. My friend Kevin was delighted to show me how and watch me miss. The cans were up on a fence rail, and everything around us was blooming. It was spring. I recall feeling daring and brave, for reasons that now escape me. I know I wanted the experience of trying to shoot, of feeling the weapon in my own hand. This was the mid-1980s, before mass murder by gunfire became prevalent in U.S. schoolyards and other public places. I wasn't afraid. There wasn't a history of violence against my race. I had no interest in owning a gun myself or learning to actually hit the Coke cans, though it was maddening to keep missing them. Kevin was happy I wanted to see what he had been learning to do. I think the gun was a new interest. So the whole mood of springtime and fun and my bad aim was cheerful. There certainly wasn't a connection with death. The gun was a sporting tool and I could just as easily have been missing goals with a hockey stick, sending the puck wide even with no goalie at the net. Today, after two mass shootings in six days and 18 people dead, my innocence back then seems shocking. We weren't even using a rifle, where one could argue killing animals for food is sometimes a necessity. Handguns were made to kill people, and automatic guns, the kind used in almost every mass shooting, were made to kill many people, and quickly. I wrote a poem four years ago after the Las Vegas massacre at an outdoor concert, describing how we hear about these events as from a distance, in another country perhaps, and then gradually they get closer and closer, Nevada being adjacent to California where I am, until the people killed end up being our own families, and then inevitably us. Never sent to know for whom the bell tolls, said John Donne in a sermon in 1623. It tolls for thee. Before COVID, I went to nail salons for pedicures, which, like many massage parlors, including the ones in Atlanta, are staffed by women from Southeast Asia, a part of the world where American guns already did so much damage. I know the pale-colored walls, fresh marigolds decking a platform in front of a Buddha statue, the hard-working women. Those rooms are incredibly familiar. 
A coaching client of mine lives in the Boulder neighborhood where Monday's shooting took place. It's her local grocery store, which she thankfully wasn't in at the time. But Kevin Mahoney was killed there, the father of Erica, news director at Monterey's NPR station. Close as in California, close as in radio land. Nevada County already had our mass shooting in 2001 when a mental health patient killed three people. Listen to that sentence. Ours usually means that we own something. It belongs to us. We're responsible for it. And check the wild assumption. Each location will, of course, have only one mass shooting. I think we've lost our minds. How can we let this go on? How did it get normalized? How can we not regulate gun use right this minute? And how is anyone who murders groups of people not mentally ill? This would be a good time to remind you that the opinions expressed here are not those of the radio station, its staff, board of directors, underwriters, volunteers, or listeners, and are solely put forth by the commentator, in this case, me, Molly Fisk. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR is listening. Head on over to our webpage, kvmr.org, and take our survey. Your input is valuable and will help us make decisions to serve you better. Thanks for listening. The Climate Report with Martin Webb is next, followed by Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman at 7 p.m. Have a great evening. See you tomorrow.